welcome back nature lovers to another episode of the birdie bunch podcast we are so excited to have y'all back we're really excited for this week's episode so with that let's get into it Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Brady Bunch Podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name is Brittany, and I am joined by my two friends and co-hosts. I'm Matt. And I'm CJ. How are we doing this week, folks? Well, I'm sipping on a nice cup of joe after a long week. Uh, it's been... Uh, it was a really quick turnaround, um, especially because we're teaching this entomology course that's not been taught in six years. So a lot of it's being built from the ground up. But I have to say, we got through it. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I, we've got greener pastures ahead. We've got some really cool things. And I'm hoping that I have some cool pictures of collections because I caught this really cool little green bee. And then also taught myself all insect taxonomy in two nights. But that's a story for another episode. I've I've definitely been better. I recently sprained my my foot, so I'm in a little bit of pain this episode, and I'm having some trouble walking outside of this episode. But I'm having a good time because I'm with my best buds, and I don't know. I've just been been a busy bee. I, I started grad school recently. It's been been a, a wild ride. Brittany, how are you? I've been doing pretty well. I uh, have just been kind of just work at home and and stuff but um we've got i've got a couple of dungeon and dragons groups that i'm a part of a couple of campaigns i'm playing and they're getting really fun so i've just kind of been doing doing that it's been it's been a great time um well i'm glad to hear that we are all at least doing somewhat well cj i hope you start feeling a little bit better I'll be better soon. No worries. No worries about siege. You're gonna you're gonna be up in and moving and grooving in no time. Um <laughs> You know it. Me, yeah. the mover and groover. Yes. That's what I'm known for. And grooving. That's what I'm known for, is exactly. being a mover and groover. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um The but... movingest and the groovingest. Yes. Yes, Matt. But what is our next segment? Oh, the creaturist, <laughs> the creaturist of the creaturist. The creaturist. Yes. Matt, <laughs> 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 take it away. So today's creature feature is sponsored by your enemies. Or the movingest and the groovingest. Oh, oh, yeah, that is my enemy. I'll say that much. No, it looks like I read that wrong. This creature feature is not an enemy, but an anemone. So today's creature feature is the sea anemone, which may sound like it's a foe, but trust me when I say these organisms have quite a very close relationship with a very other special creature that I believe we might have actually featured at one time. So if you were to hearken uh, back to season two of the Birdie Bunch podcast for the first ever Birdie Bunch hashtag pride extravaganza, 
you may remember that we featured a little creature known as the clownfish. Clownfish, not going to give a big breakdown of them there, but they also have a very, very close, some might say, symbiotic relationship with our creature feature for today, the sea anemone. Now, sea anemones are invertebrates, and they are very, very diverse order of organisms, and um, they're related to corals, jellyfish, and um, other stuff. There's even something they're related to known as a hydra, which is really, really funny. Um, but basically, if you were to look at one, it's got kind of a big tube with a bunch of tentacles branching out. It kind of looks like if you were to take a jellyfish, stick it upside down on like a rock underwater, and then just kind of leave it there waving around. What those tentacles do is they go expand out the body and they will catch prey. They're armed with these stinging cells, the same ones that a lot of jellyfish have, known as nidocytes. And what these little cells are is they are little itty bitty cells that have these little like harpoon like stingers within the cell that then shoot out and they will offer they will offer a sting and that either can paralyze the victim, can kill it. You know, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, depending on how many cells this anemone has. But the reason we're talking about this creature today is because of the associations that they have not only with clownfish, but with a lot of different marine organisms, including hermit crabs, other species of fish, and even other small animals. Now, these sea anemones will offer protection to these you know various traits let's talk clownfish right the clownfish will live within the sea anemone it doesn't live in it in it but it lives among those tentacles and that offers that clownfish protection you know that clownfish will stay inside those tentacles where predators can't get to it because it's you know it doesn't want to be stung and in turn what happens is that those clownfish, those hermit crabs, those other assortment of animals, what they do is they will bring in nutrients that are present in the fecal matter of those animals. And so in turn, what you get is this kind of cyclical thing where the anemone provides protection and then in turn gets nutrients from those various suites of animals. I will say sea anemones also have really interesting relationships with single-celled algae um, that live in their internal you know digestive system uh, and what happens is those will perform photosynthesis and then they are provided reliable light and protection from feeders as well while that anemone gets sustenance nutrients from the photosynthesis that is done by those Little algae, they're they're much longer words, but I don't feel like trying to pronounce zilxanthellae. Oh, I tried. Um, doesn't matter. But nonetheless, sea anemones are great community builders. They bring in lots of different species, and they provide them protection, and in turn, get something out of that as well. I'm not going to talk too much about what the specific term for that relationship is, because I don't want to spoil it for later on. But today, friends, we have creatured god dang we have featured the creature the sea we, we've done we've done the creaturing of the featuring anyways today we have featured the creature the sea anemone beautiful i'm talking about sea anemones not your creature feature well that's just brutal it's accurate quit acting like my anemone anemone <laughs> <laughs> 
now that Matt has slayed his anemone enemy, uh, we're gonna go over. Now where I, now where I thought that was going. This is the same year. I was like, right, Matt has slayed that creature feature. <laughs> I was like, all right, thanks, I guess. I mean, it was, it was okay, but I didn't think I didn't go that far, but thank you. I didn't. Uh, um, anyway, with our uh, creature officially featured, we're going to head on over to our current event. So our current event this week, it comes from a bunch of sources, but the article specifically that I'm pulling from is from The Guardian. And the title of the article, um, pretty exciting for those uh, de-extinction fans in the audience. Um, U.S. firm behind Tasmanian Tiger de-extinction plan uses influencers to promote research. Can That's I right, baby. <laughs> influencers are behind the Tassie Tiger. Can, can I just say the people who were attached to this project, I did not expect. Yeah. A yeah, one dude. Chris what is... Hemsworth? What? Yeah. Thor, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So if you didn't know, there's a U.S. firm uh, that's basically behind the effort to resurrect the Tasmanian tiger from extinction. Tasmanian tiger, it's kind of like a canine-looking marsupial. Um, it has stripes on it. it. It went extinct in the early 1900s. It kind of has like stripes on it like a tiger. That's why it's called that. It's also called the Tylocene, and an announcement was made last week uh, that Australian and U.S. scientists had actually launched a multi-million dollar project to bring back the Tylocene, and it received huge coverage. And this kind of bringing back extinct species is, is sort of called de-extinction, uh, and this research is kind of being done in collaboration between Colossal Biosciences, a Texas-based biotech company, and researchers at the University of Melbourne. This ambitious project, which has seen a mixed response from the scientific community, seeks to introduce these carnivorous marsupials to its native Tasmania, where they died out in the 1930s. But several influencers have, promoted, have uh, produced promotional content for the Colossal Biotech Company on Instagram and TikTok using the hashtag ColossalPartner. Um, <laughs> it... It's so wild <laughs> that influencers are playing such a giant role in public opinion of such a controversial topic like de-extinction. Nick Uhas, I think is how you pronounce his last name, he's an American TV host with more than 7 million followers on TikTok, mm -hmm. has previously promoted the firm's plan to revive the woolly mammoth and introduce it to the Arctic tundra, but even more influencers are kind of working with colossal biotech bioscience to um <laughs> to promote the the Tasmanian tiger. I, yeah. I have so many thoughts and opinions yeah. on this. Yeah. Um because let's listen to influencers instead of scientists. You know like like, I mean, the scientific community is mixed as it is. The scientific community is mixed as it is. Because, like, scientists are the ones behind it, right? Scientists yeah. are the ones, like, bringing back the Tasmanian tiger. Also, there's just, a bunch who are like, this is a horrible plan. 
I'm also just thinking about like things in general where like everybody has such strong opinions and no one wants to listen to science behind it or the scientists and the researchers who do this stuff. But like throw Chris Hemsworth on something and we're going to get that Tasmanian uh, tiger back. Yeah. back. Like it just, Tasmanian tiger, Thor approved. Yeah. Like, he just wanted to ride it into the next battle. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm, honestly, this is his end game, like the end goal, game plan. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 super interesting. It's super duper interesting. I mm. have a question about this article circling back. Um, what are their plans? Like, where are they planning to put these? Like I, ha like, I just have so many questions about that type of stuff because, like, ecosystems have moved on so like yeah how, how where and how and like what happens when they mess up the current ecosystems or don't fit into current ecosystems or you know i can keep going i can snowball into this i mean oh go ahead. if you're gonna ask the hemsworths paris hilton um, the Winklevoss twins, Thomas Tull, and the former chief executive of Legendary Entertainment, they would tell you. <laughs> oh. That's embarrassing, I feel like, for so many reasons, that group of people. Like, I'm embarrassed for them. Like, secondhand embarrassment for them. It's fine. I think um, the thought process behind it is probably, you know, they've got the problems with boxes and realistically like everyone loves a dingo but in reality a, a dingo is just kind of a feral dog <laughs> like it's not a specific you know didn't start out as dingo as canis it was like just kind no. of a an I amalgamation mean, I, of a bunch of things so i think it's probably an attempt to restore those niches but it's just well when you think about it the niche like that that dingo was introduced 60,000 years ago when indigenous people aboriginal people came to australia with like with the dingoes like that's not a native species but after 60,000 years mm -hmm. it's going to basically be a native species yeah but the niche in tasmania where there were no native dingoes until like i don't know only a couple thousand years ago as opposed to 60,000 years ago the niche might not be you know, niche might not be as full. That's potentially mm -hmm. a theory. Um, I just want to point out just this is a, a pretty, pretty significant thing here. Um, so Professor Christopher Helgen of the Australian Museum, he's their chief scientist. He said that he was aware that influencers were promoting the de-extinction project on Twitter and other platforms. And he's convinced based on the molecular biology of tylosines that this de-extinction project is not even feasible. Here's a quote from him saying, I don't think that it's possible to recre recreate the tylosine in a way that has been described. I feel very strongly that the underlying science is not there. Some caution is warranted. You'd want some peer review and some expertise involving the vetting, the kind of story that's being told about what the scientists are planning to do. Instead, we're seeing a very corporate approach, a very different approach, which is asking social influencers, who may not know too much about marsupial biology, for example, but have large followings or science-oriented followings to pump out media that's positive. This company stands to make a lot of money from the publicity. That's disgusting. That is disgusting on so many levels. I, like, what the heck? 
I, what? But, ugh. Like, it just is, it's aggravating. Because, like, it's, if it's not something possible, but you're still going to use influence, like, I, that, it, I just think it's a statement to how much social media plays in today's society. Right? I mean, we're, like, we're all constantly being influenced. We're all constantly being influenced by it, right? Like, even yeah. people who are listening to this podcast are mm -hmm. influenced by our speaking on it, right? Yeah. Like, that's truly how content works. Mm -hmm. Yep. And as content creators ourselves, we kind of have an idea whether, you know, it's a small idea compared to Chris Hemsworth, but we do have an idea of the impact that we have. Yeah. Or like even our little tiny voice matters. Imagine when you have a massive platform. Mm. Yeah. I think at this point, it's just important, you know, we can, as scientists, beat the drum of, oh, I remember the good old days without cell phones. And, you know, especially you'll hear that from, those 50 plus i would say year olds that that is still the drum that's beat but if you really want to truly set in and really kind of make a difference and the world changes whether or not we want it to and might as well keep with it so i mean we can i don't know i think the principle of bringing de-extinction is one that's heavily contested and contestable i don't i, I don't know I don't I knock think, people for trying. Look, I just, I don't knock people for trying, but I think it's gross that yeah. like, if, if it's a project that isn't a viable project and you, but you're trying to drum it up to kind of make, it's so, it just is very manipulative mm. and I, I mean, don't totally like works. it. Yeah. I mean, it's literally I mean, what it seems like to me. And again, my perception may not be a hundred percent accurate. Take it with a grain of salt. My perception is, we're really close to figuring out how to do this. We're really close. Yeah. What we would need to do it is money. And how do we get money is we'll use our current money to pay influencers to promote it. And that'll get us a bunch more money. And whether they actually use the money to do the research is questionable. But is the research something that should be done anyway? Um, what is that quote from Jurassic Park? Like, you spent you, so, you, time, so much time wondering about if you could, you didn't stop to think about if you should. Right. That's exactly right. And that's kind of how I feel about this particular thing with the extinction. Like, is the niche really necessary to fill? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like, bio, I think it might be the same colossal biotech company who is trying to get the mammoths back to like stop climate change because they think that like the mammoths walking in the Arctic like did something with like a carbon absor carbon absorption something like that yeah it's a big cascade and it has a lot to do too with permafrost as well in that presence and how as permafrost really quickly melts it releases a lot of trapped carbon dioxide gas yeah so i mean i i think the intent initially is good but it doesn't feel like the follow-through is good especially considering that the research isn't fully there and it's getting mass publicity from Paris Hilton, the Winklevoss twins, the Hemsworth, and Nick Uhas. I think the only one who really pushes it over for me is Hemsworth because he feels actually relevant. Like, I mean, Paris Hilton's relevant, but like was very relevant 20 years ago. Like, not nearly as <laughs> relevant it's anymore. It's kind of bleak, Paris Hilton, but. All right. Well, does anybody have anything else on our current event? No. Any party just words? like just like 
I don't know. Even even if there's influencers who you like, everyone yeah. is everyone is subject to being bought. Even us. Speaking of, this episode is brought to you. By- <laughs> no. That's <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> actually hysterical. So there is a little bit of a spoiler at the beginning of our episode today. Um, with our creature feature and its symbiotic relationship with clownfish. So today we're going to be talking a lot about different symbiotic relationship and symbiosis just in general. Um, and symbiosis can be defined as an interaction between two, two different organisms living in close physical association, typically to the advantage of both. Um, But there's actually five different types of symbiotic relationships. There's mutualism, which is a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship. There's parasitism, um, where one uh, species lives on or in or with a host species. There's uh, competition, which is a relationship in which organisms compete for resources. There's predation, which is a... symbiosis where one organism feeds on another and then there's commensalism a one-sided symbiotic relationship and so we're going to talk a little bit about all of them i'm going to give some different examples of each and um we're going to rank them i've got six here so we're going to rank them um from s tier to f tier so our first one that we are going to talk about today is a mutualism symbiotic relationship. And it is of the goby fish and the pistol shrimp. And so um, they have a mutually beneficial relationship. And the pistol shrimp are known to have like super large claws and they have an excellent ability for digging and so they create these little burrows in in the sand um but they have really poor eyesight and almost are completely blind which makes it uh really hard for them to um see predators and things like that until they're basically already you know shark bait Shark bait! Ooh-ha-ha! Welcome, brother shark bait! Shark bait! Ooh-ha-ha! Enough of the shark bait! Shark bait! Ooh-ba-ba-doo! The pistol shrimp, because of its burrowing ability, it winds up providing uh, food in a safe spot for not only itself, but for the gobies as well. And because the shrimps are so vulnerable to predators, whenever um, whenever it kind of dumps all of its little sand bits from its burrow, the goby, the goby fish um, is actually able to help them because they have excellent eyesight. Um, so basically the pistol shrimp kind of use the goby fish as they're seeing eye dogs um, and the goby fish in return gets a nice cozy spot to be able to live. Yeah, I, I can't say that I've heard this one before. I, I, I think I want to, I want to, rank this guy and i think just like b tier to start i feel like there's not too much to say other than kind of a little fishy digging out a little hole um plus shrimp i don't know i'm gonna start with b tier 
I'll go A just because I, I mean, it's since we have two animals here, like I, I find that I might be a little bit biased because I just like the shrimp. So I'll go A, but I just like pistol shrimp. Got it. It's it's a purely biased standing point, but I like the shrimp. Yeah, I I think I'm gonna also put it at A tier. I don't think there's anything like super duper cool or special, but like helping each other out, that's that's nice. That's cool. I digs it. Um so we've got two A's and a B. Alrighty, so then our next uh relationship is going to be with the woolly bats and pitcher plants. So this is another mutual beneficial uh, relationship where a fruit bat will eat the fruits from a fig tree and while it eats its seeds, the seeds are then dispersed throughout the, the bat dropping, which just creates more fig trees. Um, and like that process kind of starts all over again. So they're kind of a really good pollinator. Um, and it's mutually beneficial because the fruit bats are getting yummy, delicious fruits from that fig tree, keeping them sustained. And the fig tree um, is going to be able to keep repopulating and growing um, due to that that seed dispersal in the bat's poop. Um, I personally put this at like a C tier because like a lot of animals do this. A lot of pollinators do this. Um, so it wasn't anything like super special, but like without, without the bats and things like that, where would fake trees really be? I think, I think that's exactly why I'm not going to put this super high. I'm going to rank this pretty low. I'm going to rank it in D tier for that exact reason. I feel like this isn't a super unique symbiotic relationship. You mentioned bats do it, birds do it, even educated fleas do it. Um, you know, I, I think a, 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 another interesting example of this type of relationship, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard this one before, but it's giant ground sloths and avocados. Have you guys heard this before? So giant ground sloths from like, what is it? What is that? What is that? What is that period called, Matthew? When giant ground sloths existed? The giant ground sloth period. Yeah, yeah, giant ground sloths from the giant ground sloth period. I feel, I feel a little insulted that that was just a Matt question, and not a Brittany question. But then I think about I didn't know the answer, so like fair. <laughs> I definitely thought that Matt would know. I actually, I kind of want to say potentially Cenozoic, but I'm not positive. Hold up, I'm googling it. What period are they in? Anyway, the Pleistocene. The, oh, the I Pleistocene. Uh, I did know that. Ah. Uh, all right, so the giant ground sloths from the what is it, Pleistocene? Pleistocene era, yeah. So they like like sloths and anteaters today and humans are some of the only animals that can eat avocados without like being like them being toxic to them, and that's because like evolutionarily, they evolved to eat avocados and disperse their seeds. That's why their seeds are like so difficult to grow and avocados would like truly be extinct if humans didn't want them so bad because their seeds, no other animals can eat them. And now they're too big for other animals to disperse. So like gra giant ground sloths would like eat the whole avocado. Mm -hmm. So now it's only like armadillos, anteaters and sloths that can eat 
avocado, and anything else can't eat it. Because those are the only relatives of that animal. <laughs> I was going to say, well, actually, our... our, our uh, yeah, but like to eat the seed, can, it was but... just, it was just eat the seed. It was just these giant sloths. Yeah. And so after passing through like their system, it would be like, you know, ready to go. And that's why like now we have to like peel their seeds open and like poke holes in them. And that's not what should happen. So that, avocados only exist because people like them. And I think that's a more interesting story than the woolly bat. And so that's why woolly bats at D. That's fair. I almost want to change my answer now. Eh, I give it an S because I really, 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 really like pollination. Like, I am obsessed with pollination. This isn't isn't even pollination, though. It's seed dispersal. I don't care. Plant-animal relationships are, like, (laughs) what I study. (laughs) It's true. That is what you study. It is my area of study. And so, plant you know, plant organism mutualisms I am fascinated by. They have brought me into the world of plants. I love the naturalist spin that I can observe and take on it. So I'm giving it an S because I think it's dope. I really, really like them, but also I have to like them because that's my work. Our next symbiotic relationship is a little controversial because it's is uh controversial in the fact that some people say that is not a symbiotic relationship but others say they do it is so um our next two are actually between ox peckers and large other large mammals um i have i wrote down zebra uh for the one that i was gonna specifically kind of get into but it is with lots of different um Lots of different animals. So the axe pecker actually spends pretty much their entire life. They're a little bird um, that spends pretty much their entire life on large mammals. Um, So we're just going to talk about zebras uh, again for this uh, example. The only time that they are not on their hosts are for nesting, um, which happens in little tree cavities. But they are pretty much um, dependent on their their host for their source of food because these guys um, will eat like little bugs and things like that. Oxpeckers consume consume dandruff and scar tissue, um, and actually have been known to open up wounds on um, on zebras and other large mammals um, to eat their blood and the scabs. Um, and so the reason why these guys are a little bit controversial when it comes to whether or not they're actually symbiotic is because um, some say that the oxpeckers are just semi-parasitic, um, but others say that they are. Um, they, they do have a symbiotic relationship with, with them due to the fact that they are eating some of the the other parasites and the things that live on the large mammals. But whether or not, or not you think there's a mutual beneficial relationship or if you just think that the oxpecker is semi-parasitic, I think it was really, they're really cool. And I honestly, when I think about symbiotic relationships i do a lot of times think about the birds that are always on my animals i don't know it always reminds me of the lion king i don't know why but 
with that, I put it at A tier because it's what I think about when I think about symbiotic relationships. Is it is it just like particularly the oxpecker slash zebra slash ox slash whatever? So the yeah, so it's the oxpecker that is like the like the common denominator in all of them, but it's literally just large hooked animals. It's on okay. Uh, Cape buffalo, it's on zebras, giraffes, it's on sure all of the big guys, basically. Sure. I think I'm going to go with A tier because, again, it's pretty iconic when you think about, like, symbiotic relationships. I didn't know that it was, like, they're, like, straight up, like, packing them to drink blood. I thought it was, like, I'm picking off ticks or I'm picking off flies. I don't think it's necessarily for the blood aspect portion. I think it's for the scabbing and like the See, skin aspect. Yeah, because I thought it was like mutual. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that's the reason I'm ranking it so high is because I, I have like a preconceived notion of this. Mm -hmm. That's but... why I thought it was really interesting too, because, and that's why it's so controversial because like it is technically mutually beneficial because they do eat a lot of the ticks and the parasites and the and the bugs off of the, the larger animals which makes it mutually beneficial but then there's that other aspect that kind of makes them semi-parasitic so sure yeah that's interesting yeah. again i think i'm just gonna go with a tier because it's like relatively iconic to me personally i think i mean i kind of have to go see because they can't get it figured out like maybe I'm providing controversial today, but if they can't figure out what they think it is, then I can't rain it that high. But like that's a people problem, not an animal relationship mm -hmm. problem. But it skews my perception, just as CJ's perception could potentially be skewed as um has just been I'm on to your tricks, Brittany. People ruined it for me. Let's see. Wait, what? You well, lost me too. Well, well, CJ, you said that like you could be operating off of what your preconceived notion was. I know for sure. I'm actively acknowledging. <laughs> so my perception of it might be different than what it is because people can't figure out what they think it is, and so therefore it bugs me. And see, uh, bugs you like the oxpecker bugs the hooved animals. I get it. Or doesn't scientists still don't know? Or do they? They haven't told me. So for our next one, um, we're going to talk about um, jackals and small animals. So um, this is an example of a competition symbiosis relationship. So jackals and small animals share the exact same water supply. And so if jackals were to take over whatever watering hole or whatever, wherever water it is and restricted other animals from having access to it, it would then cause those smaller animals to die off because they're not getting a water and then cause an issue for the jackals for hunting because then they're not getting food because they're killing off their food source by not letting them get access to their water supply. So it winds up having this symbiotic relationship because in order to keep having a food source, jackals have to allow 
other animals to have a water source. Um, so usually they'll leave them be. I think it's kind of where that everybody, that the preconceived notion that that happens in a lot in movies and books and things that like the watering hole is, is, is an is a no man's hunting zone type deal. It's everybody goes to the the watering hole to and and there's ne never issues or whatever predation. Um, I think that's where that um, notion kind of comes from. Um, I'm actually going to put this one in S tier because I think it's I I just think it's um, it's interesting. I think it happens a lot with other animals too, and it's kind of like you got to you got to know. You can't shoot yourself in the foot, so you, so you gotta you gotta know uh, what you're doing a little bit. So S tier. I think I'm gonna keep this one in A tier. A similar reasoning, though. Again, I feel like it's sort of like this common ground. You know, again, that's another like classic example of like let's put our differences aside so we can both survive. Because again, you'd think like maybe that's not what they should be doing when they're so close together. But everybody's, everybody, just like everybody poops, everybody needs water. I think I'll also stick it in A, but for me, I like the, the watering hole allegory solely because, like, the watering hole is, like, the common ground for everyone except crocodiles because they're in there. And so I think the watering hole allegory is really fun just because there's one group that does not care and i like and I, that group. i feel like that's literally like it's everybody isn't putting their differences aside and we're all gonna drink some water and then i was like ah yes lunchtime. <laughs> it's like nah nah we're still different screw you hippos too though yeah hippos is more just like i will attack you i will hurt you so bad when I, went, I was like, you are my lunch. When I went to Africa, we went during the Great Migration of... So cool. Yes. And we were, like, watching them go down, like, to, like, cross over the river. And you would just see them all go down. And then there's, like, just a pile of, of crocodiles down there. And then you see them all shoot right back up. And then they come down again. And then there's a hippo. And they shoot right back up and try from another side. And it was just like them trying to figure out like if there was any path there where there wasn't crocodiles or a hippo waiting for lunch or waiting for tennis. So yeah. It was really funny. Basically TLDR A tier, but only because there's people who don't follow that and they make yeah. it funny. I think I'm again sticking with A tier. I think it's a classic example. So I I big fan. Big fan. So the next one that we're going to talk about is between a little teeny tiny little uh, pseudoscorpion and large insects. So um, pseudoscorpions tend to attach themselves to larger insects so that they can move from place to place. And so um, the larger insects aren't harmed. The pseudoscorpions don't do anything to them. They're not. They're not parasitic. They don't. They don't feed off of them. They don't do anything. They just kind of act like a little hitchhiker, and they um, hop on to the larger insects and move to the next spot and kind of do their own thing. So I kind of put it. I put it at F care because, like, why? Just why? Like, I'm not 100 percent sure that I understand the symbiotic relationship. Yeah, so 
commensalism is where it is a one-sided relationship. So only one, like one, one organism benefits from the from their relationship. So the pseudo scorpion attaches itself to any of the larger insects to be able to get from point A to point B. The larger insect doesn't have any, doesn't benefit from it, doesn't, but also doesn't, um, isn't harmed by it either. Um, and so. Got it. Okay. I think I got it Yeah. So the pseudoscorpion is the one who is um, benefiting in that. Yes. So yeah, I, I think I'm going to put it. it I think I'm going to put it in B tier because it's a bus. He's just hopping on the bus. He's just hopping on the bus and getting off the bus. He's a bus boy. He's a little bus boy scorpion. Bus boy pseudo scorpion on the bus. I'm at A because I just, you know, just got to do what you got to do. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. I got little short legs. Guess I'll just fly. Yeah. They're just trying to get from point A to point B. How do you know? Yeah. Because they're not harmed. The other, is, you, said, you said the other insects aren't Yeah, harmed they're not harmed. It. Yeah, this is but bigotry. Like... I'm sick of the anti-pseudoscorpion later. If I can give somebody a ride, and it's on my, like, if somebody is not, it's on my way, I'm not, I'm not harmed. It's they pay no. gas. They, they do They don't. They do nothing for it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not harmed, so I'm not going out of my way. If somebody's going exactly where I start to exactly where I end. There is no harm either way. F tier. Mm, B tier. He's a little bus boy. He's a little I'm, bus boy. I'm bringing it up to S now just to combat the <laughs> I'm doing he's the a, Lord's work here. So he's a little bus boy. <laughs> All right. So our, our final, our last uh, relationship is that between... A, a lion and a gazelle. And this is a form of predation. And so predation is where an organism feeds on another. And so obviously the lion is gonna eat the gazelle unless you have a really jacked up gazelle. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, the lions kind of while hunting and stalking gazelles, it makes the herd smaller. And they kind of basically, and just the, by, by the way that they hunt and the gazelles they pick, they usually pick the weakest link, which then only allows the strongest to survive, which usually if it would indicate that you have strong enough genes and then, which is only going to make the herd stronger and it, and it is supposed to, um, basically make it so only the strongest genes are moving on in that gene pool and just making the herds stronger in the process. I put this at C tier because there's so many ways for this to go wrong. Um, and there's lots of, uh, there's lots of uh, spots for it to just go south, whether that's over predation or, you, you, you I mean, lions are know. lions are not that good of hunters for over where over predation's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> but like, like specifically in the case for lions, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, I'm ranking this but, in S tier, and let me tell you why. It's because the lions eat the gazelle, and when the lions die, they turn into grass, and the the gazelle eat the grass. So it's a full on circle of life situation. Look out to the horizon. 
past the trees, over the grasslands. Everything the light touches belongs to someone else. Funny, I thought you were going a whole diff different direction with this. What can I say? It's nature's design. She's right! We're food for other animals. A movable feast feared by no one and eaten by all. But when they die, they become the grass. And we eat the grass, right? Not exactly. We can't digest grass. We're grass intolerant. Meerkat, it's what's for dinner. Thank you, Uncle Max. That's fair. That's actually really fair. As I my friend might, Mufasa says. I actually <laughs> might bring it up to a B tier instead of a C tier. I'm going to go solid B. I feel like I'm very... Well, our opinions this week on our Yeah, normally, normal, normally we are symbiotic, you know? <laughs> yeah, we are definitely not this week. I'm going F because I'm bored and the cheetah did it better. I feel like the cheetah literally does it worse, though. No, but the, the cheetah, <laughs> at the very least, you get this evolutionary arms race where the reason that That's the cheetah is fast is because the gazelle was fast. And the gazelle was like, ah, geez, we're getting to eat. Let's get faster. Gotta be quicker. Gotta be quicker. And so the cheetah's like, ah, it means I gotta eat. Gotta be quicker. And that's why you now got this cat that runs 70 miles an hour. And then not only that, but it happened again in North America, except now the cheetah's gone. And so now you just have this really fast gazelle-looking thing that's not a gazelle, but it's practically a gazelle. And I think a... that's sick. And so for that reason, the lion just borders me F. I mean, I lions are lions are lions are animals so i'm gonna go with s tier i just i also just and i've said this before on the podcast i've maintained consistency big cats kind of bore me i mean that's a fact i will fact. I, I will this say is... i saw i saw vultures bully a bully a lion out of its Ugh, meal good there was a it was <laughs> Good. Eating, it was eating a zebra, and a bunch of vultures just came in and bullied this freaking lion out of its zebra carcass. Good. Um, and I was like, you know, all right, that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Lions are absolute wimps. Lions are not good predators by any stretch. But they're very cute. Yeah, they're cute, but they're absolute wimps. Absolute. Anyway, the circle of life. And with that, we've come full circle in this life at the end of this episode. That was beautiful. What? That was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. I like that. I didn't that. realize we were dying today. We're all in the process of dying. Yeah. Didn't you know that oxygen is toxic to people? It just takes 85 years to kill us. It's not just toxic to people. It's toxic to just about everything. I know. <laughs> Okay, well, keep keep the the beautiful circle of life thing. Um, um, but I think we're 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 that we've come to that end. So, um, with that, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and and go to our outro. So, if you if you liked what you heard and you wanted to see what's going on in um the 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 Brady Bunch's lives. Um, you can find us on social media. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Brittany Bunch, T H E B as in bird, R I T T A N Y underscore B as in bird, U N C H. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Check check it out. Um, where can they find y'all? 
Find me on Instagram at Matt Valga, M-A-T-T-V's and Victor A-L-I-G-A. You can also find me on Instagram at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. Hey. You can find us collectively on Instagram at the Brady Bunch Podcast. Um, you can also head on over to our website, uh, www.thebradybunchpodcast.com. Um, and on that website, you can find a little bit just more about us individually, but you can also find our merch store. We've got everything from t-shirts to wine tumblers to hats. Um, so it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a great time. Anything uh, from wine tumblers to uh, hats. <laughs> I was trying to think, what is the, the little, the, what are the hats? The type of hats called bucket hats. Yes, and it I, sounds like you need to put the wine tumbler down, Brittany. <laughs> I, I kept wanting to call the bucket hat a boiler hat, and I knew it was wrong. A boiler hat. Yep, I know that's not a thing either. I already know that's not a thing, which is why I was like, "This is wrong." The space heater uh, hat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a radiator hat. It's fine. Uh, um. Um, but if you didn't want to get anything from our merch store, you just want more content, more fun things from the podcast, you should join our Patreon. There you can um, get anything from special shout-outs from us on the podcast or um, to, to exclusive episodes only for you. Um, speaking of our Patreon, Patreon, thank you to Gabe Anderley um for for being our our patron we appreciate you we love you we miss you hi gabe but if you don't want to do that either or can't do that or or whatever your reason may be the best way um for for to support us is by telling people word of mouth that you love the pretty bunch podcast and if you actually leave a review on apple Podcasts or wherever you are consuming this content uh, we will read a five-star review out here, out on the podcast. Um, we really appreciate uh, reviews. We just want to make uh, the best content possible for y'all. So feedback is always welcome. Uh, we currently don't have any new reviews. Um, so, um, yeah. But I think that is it for the podcast. So we will catch you next time. Thanks so much, all you nature lovers, for listening to yet another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would especially like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our art for our episodes, as well as Connor Women for producing our music. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination. Dig a tunnel, dig, dig a tunnel, 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 dig a tunnel,